If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to the broadcast Friday, last day of the week, Monday to Friday. We've been here. It's been a strong week, been a really strong week. And I'm glad you guys have been on the journey with us here, especially all you in the TNT chat room right now. Great to see you guys in there. Haven't had time to drop the links in uh, like before. I've got my hands sort of busy. Uh, we've got a bunch of things breaking now, keeping an eye on a number of stories as they're breaking. Uh, but, you know, we're very fortunate to be able to talk to somebody of the caliber of Leila Hatoum, uh, who's been a valuable Middle East correspondent for us at this show uh, since this conflict began. Leila's doing great work, and she's done great work throughout her career. Um, she's been there uh, really from the beginning uh, with regards to the hostilities on the border there with Israel and her knowledge and boots on the ground, contacts, etc., in Gaza are invaluable as well. So we really appreciate her. She's given us an insight on three major points, uh, South Lebanon, Gaza, and the Yemeni uh, answer Allah uh, interdicting of uh, ships on the high sea. So those are three major stories we managed to cover in good depth. Uh, well, I'd like to get more time on the Yemen story, perhaps another time with Layla, but uh, fantastic. And that's the type of information that we are endeavoring to bring our listeners on this program Monday to Friday. Um, so we're glad that you guys can tune in. We can share that with you, give you that level of information analysis. Now, we're going to kick off our U.S. Uh, stories uh, with Matt Lee, but that's going to be at the bottom of the hour. So we're going to get him uh, live from the Southern District of New York uh, and right where the belly of the beast is happening legally. I mean, the Hunter Biden thing is Oh, my goodness. I think it's almost like the Truman Show. I mean, you could follow Hunter Biden with a TV crew. Um, in fact, that's he, I think he was planning to do that anyway. Most of it's on his laptop. But uh, you could follow him around with a TV crew and just got life, virtual life as we know it with Hunter Biden. I mean, the Truman Show. Uh, and just follow him around and doing his things, selling paintings, just being Hunter, I guess. That's what we call it, being Hunter. How about that? Being Hunter be really interesting wouldn't it life as hunter biden son of joe biden and according to joe smartest man into most intellectually superior smartest guy i know says joe of his son that's saying a lot coming from joe as well so anyway uh we'll we'll talk about that plus the trump trials that's going to be interesting donald trump's dodged another bullet it seems but there's a few more on the way a few more salvos that they want to fire off to try to knock him out of the primaries Ron DeSantis is seemingly giddy um, in his appearances. What does he know that we don't? Does he have some sort of an inside track uh, into the presidency or the GOP? Is Trump going to get knocked off legally? Uh, I hope it's just legally, if you know what I mean. We're not going to go any further uh, down those affirmations. But internationally, what's interesting, we're going to go over to Europe right now. So do you remember a couple of months ago when – NATO had pretty much said it had strong-armed Sweden and Finland into NATO. It's a big celebration. And then Ukraine was going to follow soon after that. Okay, well, So Finland was strong-armed immediately in. Uh, there wasn't any problem there in terms of other NATO countries ratifying that. It's got to be a unanimous decision, obviously. Sweden's got a problem. Turkey's holding it up. Okay, And I think as well, I don't know if Hungary has given sweden the green light i'm not so sure but 
anyway, Turkey is holding this up. It's not yet happened, so it's not officially happened. Anyway, now we find out why they strong-armed Finland. Finland had no interest in being a NATO member state, no interest in having an adversarial relationship with its neighbor, Russia. They, they share quite a long border with Russia. There's never been any problems with Finland, not for a very, very long time, not since well before the Second World War. That was ages ago. So good relations, for the most part, between Finland and Russia had an open border there. There's people. There are a lot of dual citizens, by the way, Finnish and Russian. Back and forth they go. There's also a brisk tourism trade uh, between the two countries, and why not? So the, and now that you've got the closed border uh, with Finland, they're now under pressure opening up part of it. The U.S. is doing all sorts of games in Finland. Now this week, now we find out what the end game is. Now we find out what the end game is. The United, the United States is demanding that Finland reserve not one, not two, but four different locations reserved and set aside land for U.S. bases and U.S. stockades. So that's why they wanted Finland and NATO. The U.S. needed some space for more bases on Russia's border. On Russia's border. So that's the end game with with regards to Finland. Now, the for Sweden, it's and Norway, you're talking about a much smaller uh, shared space there, uh, butted up against Russia's border. It's not like the long continuous land line that's between Finland and Russia. So is it but that's why the US wanted in. Quite simple. So this argument that uh, NATO is not encircling Russia, the United States is not encircling Russia. So this is going to create a lot of strategic problems, especially if one day, one day missiles end up uh, on in those locations. Russia will have to respond in kind, then they're targeting Helsinki, and then Stockholm, and then we have like a worse problem, I think, than we had before all this started. Nobody is more secure. Everybody's more insecure. So that's what's going on there. Now, Hungary, uh, again, potentially, I'm not sure what the final result was with Sweden yet with Hungary, but it looks like probably a better chance that's signed, sealed, and delivered than with Turkey. Uh, there's going to be some problems with Turkey ratifying Sweden's membership into NATO. And if they don't, there'll be pressure to push Turkey out of NATO. But the, that's not going to happen because the West would rather have them in than out uh, for obvious reasons. But Hungary is vowed to block Ukraine's membership to the EU. Forget about NATO with Ukraine. That's a non-starter. But what about the EU? There's this promise that they're going to restart and get fast-track Ukraine into the European Union. Okay, that was the big news this week. Uh, Viktor Orban has come in and basically thrown a roadblock on that. He's basically saying that uh, he will pull the handbrake on that if necessary. And why? Why? Look at this. Look at the Polish truckers strike. I don't know if you guys had. We mentioned it on the show. Of course, we covered it in weeks previous. But then when that strike was lifted, all of a sudden it was back on again because the polls for various and sundry reasons, don't like what's coming over the border from Ukraine. So the, the whole idea was to sort of relax red, uh, restrictions of shipping of goods coming from Ukraine into the EU. They're basically giving Ukraine Schengen status, Schengen status, like open border there. So what's coming out of Ukraine? Well, you know, some products, sub subpar agricultural products that are driving down the price of Polish farmers. There you see the protests. 
Okay. Other goods coming from Ukraine, again, uh, screwing with the markets of, with the polls initially, but you could say in Europe in general. So that's a problem. And then you have the black market. Well, what's Ukraine specialize in? Well, you name it, you name it. Uh, let's say smuggling cigarettes, drugs, humans, children, organs, what else? Al probably alcohol, cheap knockoffs from Asia, or who knows? Weapons, who knows? Drugs going both ways, obviously. Kiev, uh, Zelensky, etc. So, uh, so po Poland's basically not saying no. This isn't good for us. Not good for our country. I think this has got a security issue as well. So, imagine a Schengen border between Ukraine and Poland. Imagine Ukraine having free reign in and around Europe. What do you think that's going to mean in terms of organized crime? What's that going to mean in terms of smuggling, black market? It's not good. And of course, they're going to want special treatment as usual because Ukraine's used to getting this entitlement. So anyway, there's a few sane voices in Europe. Viktor Orban seems to be one of them. Uh, the Hungarian prime minister has said his government will have 75 more opportunities to block Ukraine's path towards EU membership. So 75 opportunities to block Ukraine getting into the EU. Uh, and the allowing accession talks to begin is a political gesture by Brussels with no substance whatsoever. In other words, they're just going through the motions to make it look like something positive is going on with Ukraine when the whole thing is collapsed. That's basically what you're looking at here. Uh, Orban's calling the bluff of Brussels, saying this is meaningless. And by the way, if you if you go down this road, we're going to throw the kibosh on it. Not once, not twice, 75 times. In other words, good luck. They're still going to promise the Euromaidan dream, however, uh, to young Ukrainians. But the, here's the problem. Uh, most of the Euromaidan young Ukrainians, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young Ukrainians, especially the, well, the women have left and are not coming back. Many of the men have left and are not coming back for obvious reasons. They don't want to get press-ganged uh, into a trench. Uh, somewhere in uh, Marinka or Kharkiv or something worse or Zaporizhia, whatever. They just don't want to come back and die uh, in a losing war. So th this is uh, the Euromaidan dream that sold to Ukraine. Well, it's already been fulfilled for millions of Ukrainians. And how much more can they take in terms of hemorrhaging population into Europe? So it's not really as good of a sales pitch as it was 10 years ago. It's been 10 years. It'll be 10 years in February, 2024. 10-year anniversary of the Maidan. Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? What? Re revolution of dignity. Doesn't look like it was a good result. This is a disaster. It's been a national disaster. This is the best way to describe Zelensky's presidency. It's a national disaster for Ukraine. They'll never recover. They'll never recover. The country will never be the same. And... They're risking now losing their coastline, which connects Mikolaev, Odessa, connecting with Crimea there. That's the last Ukrainian water coastline. And they very much are risking losing that. The longer they insist on fighting Russia, Zelensky's gone. He's boasting about how he destroyed the Russian Navy on Fox News with uh, Brett Baer. 
couple of days ago. I mean, I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's interesting. I was like, oh, wait, I was waiting for Brett Baer to push back against Zelensky because he was literally telling uh, some tall stories on American television. But of course, Brett Baer didn't push back on any of it. He just nodded his head like a good sort of Anderson Cooper style journalist, a little bit concerned, looking, looking serious, looking engaged, but not pushing back. So uh, terms of journalism maybe they just don't know what's going on in that part of the world i don't blame them because if you're covering the dross of u.s politics uh monday to friday you're probably not going to be very strong on international just saying probably not the right show for Zelensky, but there you go it was just political posturing to raise money for what for what for a project that has absolutely hit the skids we're going to take a break right now with tnt today's news talk i'm patrick kenningson your host we'll be back with more international stories and our legal correspondent in new york matthew russell lee from inner city press looking forward to that i hope you are too we'll be right back tnt radio's hervoy morich approximately six hundred and fifty thousand ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left ukraine for europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot. If your country is being invaded, uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if, the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars, and most of them just uh, are. Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. We're now number two, this live broadcast. Just back to the Ukraine issue. This this story was crazy, what happened uh, yesterday. A Ukrainian deputy, this is in Western Ukraine, Transcarpathia. So a lot of ethnic uh, Hungarians in this region as well. It also, uh, so this is kind of ethnic oblast, Western Ukraine, under the control 
in control of Kiev, Ukrainian deputy walks into a local council meeting, detonates two grenades. So the explosions in the council chamber injured 26 people, according to authorities. Two dozen people injured is in western Ukraine. Again, uh, the suspected perpetrator was a local deputy who brought the grenades to the meeting. Local police said the emergency services performed resuscitation measures on the man who detonated the grenades, adding that law enforcement were looking into a forensic investigation. Imagine that. So what exactly happened? What was the motivation? So local news has said the Sergei um, Batrun is the MP, and he's with none other than da -da -da -da, Zelensky's party, servant of the people. So what is the, so would this be an act of terrorism? Is this a monk self-emulating here, uh, an idealist? I want to know what the motivation is because this is important. This is the sort of thing that triggers major movements uh, if the truth is ever known. So the Ukrainian police said uh, that, well, in this Transcarpathian region here, claimed the lives of two people, one of whom was a man who brought the explosive. So two dead. Two dead, 11 injured. Wow. Including the guy, the local deputy himself. And 26 people additionally were also injured, six of them in serious condition. The worst part about this is there's video of it. So you can watch this guy walk in. As people are totally unsuspecting here. Complete nutter, member of Zelensky's party, servant of the people. I don't think he's serving anything up there that's very uh, helpful. Definitely not. So, but yeah, what's behind this? Uh, we would love to know. We would love to know. And this isn't an isolated incident, by the way. Uh, we should also point out that a similar incident took place last month uh, in November when Major Gennady Chastikov, an, an aide to the country's top general, Valery Zaluzhny, died in a grenade blast while celebrating his birthday. So what was that? Was he juggling the grenade? Was it intentional? What what happened there? Uh, was there a fight? Who knows? Uh, I don't know the full story. According to Ukrainian authorities, the deceased officer was given a box of explosives as a gift. Well, there you are. And apparently did not take them seriously despite having been warned that the grenades were fully operational. So pulled one of the pins out. And then what? A bunch of others exploded as well. So he was given a sort of, imagine getting a box of cookies or, you know, a box of Fabergé eggs. No, it's Ukraine, folks, 2023. You're going to get a box of grenades uh, at, your, at, your, at your birthday uh, celebration there if you're, our, if you're in the Ukrainian military. Not the brightest bulbs in the box, the Ukrainian military. Maybe that's, not why, that's why they're not doing so well uh, against the Russians. Crazy, absolutely insane. Anyway... This so you can see there's the the political fissures are showing a lot of people are upset. An interesting poll. The Ukrainian polling is interesting. Okay, latest poll that there's an increased number of Ukrainians that are now willing to trade land for peace. What does that mean? Well, it, it, the the sort of party line has always been with Washington, London, NATO. Jan Stoltenberg, Zelensky, that uh, we're we're not we're not going to stop fighting the Russians until 
uh, we get our 1991 borders back. In other words, until Russia vacates Crimea, vacates the Donbass, Kherson, Zaporizhia, okay, they just leave Ukraine proper, 1991 borders, independent Ukraine borders. We're going to keep fighting until that happens. No peace negotiations. That was that's been Zelensky's promise to his people. He's he's willing to die on that hill, supposedly. Okay. So now, but that's not what the Ukrainian people are thinking. And I always said this. I said there's going to be a big gulf between uh, what the people are thinking, what they want, and what the government in Kiev, what the Zelensky regime is saying. And I, I, I tend to not trust the polling that much. It, it depends on the poll and who's who's running it. This was run by the Kiev International Institute of Sociology. Um, also, is it anonymous poll? Was the age groups? Is it telephone poll? Uh, is it random? Because if it's if it's random surveys or there's some degree of confidentiality, you're probably going to get more honest answers on this. Because you have to remember, in this current climate in Ukraine, if you they, they've outlawed the press, they've outlawed the the Orthodox Church, they have outlawed free speech, outlawed opposition parties. So this is a full blown autocracy, basically. In Ukraine, so when there, someone's coming and calling for some poll, like what would you do? If, you know, would you be willing to give up some of the land that we've lost to the Russians uh, in order to get a peace deal and stop the fighting? And of course, if you give the wrong answer to that, you could be persecuted politically, um, and you know, you could have a bunch of Azov thugs uh, show up at your door and whatever drag you out. And if you're unlucky, uh, they'll throw a uniform on you and put you on a bus to the front line. Or you know maybe just rough you up a little bit, uh, who knows? But like that's the reality. So you don't want to be honest when asked any serious questions. Like for instance, do you approve of Zelensky? Would you like to see another president? Whatever. Those polls are going to be skewed as well. Listen, and I had this argument with uh, NAFO trolls and other people too, like people uh, apologists for NATO on this. They're saying, oh, the, well, this is what the polling says, and you know that 70% of the people are behind the war in Ukraine. Are you serious? In America, people don't either. There's already a margin of error uh, with with Trump polls, okay, from 2016 onwards. Will you vote for Donald Trump? Of course, mo a certain large percentage of people are going to say uh, no, but then they'll actually vote for him on election day. That's called the shy Trumper effect. Okay, well-known phenomenon in U.S. polling, sampling. Okay, that's in a so-called free country like America. So if you're if you're getting a deviation of like <laughs> to, to, to 10, 20, 30 percent on Trump polling in the United States on some polls, it was that bad. That's why it, all the pollsters and all the pundits had already uh, priced in uh, Hillary Clinton uh, a victory based on the polling. So polling turned out to be completely bogus. What do you think it's like in Ukraine where they're threatening everybody uh, when there's there's no free speech, when people are scared to give their opinion or say anything negative about the government for fear of their life, okay? What do you think the polling is going to be like? What do you think the deviation is going to be? you think it's going to be 2%? you think it's going to be 5%? you think it's going to be 30 percent could be as high as 50 percent okay so useless anyway you got to read between the lines when you see these samples so a small but growing minority <laughs> believe kiev should abandon its territorial goals so i would read between the lines there and 
yeah, we'll see. What does this poll say? Uh, Ukrainians willing to make territorial concessions uh, to Russia in exchange for a peace deal has doubled since the early summer. How much has it doubled uh, here? So, however, significant majority still believe that Ukraine can beat Russia if it only gets its wonder weapons from the West. So delusional. They were watching too much CNN, clearly. The poll carried out by the Kiev Institute of Sociology, reputable uh, institution, no doubt, uh, released on Thursday and found that 19% of respondents would favor such a deal. So 20%, one out of five, one out of five would say, yep, we'll give up some land for peace. Okay. In other words, Russia can keep the spoils of victory and uh, we'll stop the fighting and draw an armistice line. Okay. 10% in May. So that's a doubling since May. So since the summer, 10%, now 20 74% insist that under no circumstances should Ukraine give up any of its territory. Seven were unsure, undecided on that. So those those undecided are probably, yes, we'll give up land for peace. So I would say that 20% is probably more like 30. Okay, let's save. It's 30. One out of three Ukrainians uh, favor giving up land for peace. One out of three. 30%. That's a sizable majority. That's enough to move things politically. If that's the real case, then you're going to see a major upheaval in this country. It's going to be regime change. It's going to be a coup. It's going to be something. And it's going to be coming fast. Because if you have that many people that are fed up, it's only a question of time before that needle goes to 50%. Just a question of time, maybe a few battles, a few major announcements or whatever we could get there by this spring uh we're not kidding anyway let's take a break right now with tnt we'll be back on the other side with matthew russell lee from inner city press boy are we looking forward to this conversation hunter biden trump juan guaido what's not to like i'm patrick henningson your host we'll be right back with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea Congratulations to new Argentine President Javier Malay, who was sworn in over the weekend. Malay's election last month rocked the South American nation and the world and returned Argentina's government to the people after decades of socialists robbing them blind. How blind? The hyperinflation in Argentina has been outrageous, impoverishing up to 40% of the population. Inflation for 2023 stands at 183%. As bad as Bidenomics is, at least it's not that bad. And President Malay set an example for once and future President Donald Trump by signing an executive order as his first official act in office that reduced the number of ministries from 21 to 9. 12 ministries, such as the Ministry of Women, genders and diversity are no more. Not only will that help the bottom line in Argentina, it will expand liberty and bring a better quality of life to the Argentine people. Here's hoping that that happens in the United States in 2025. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. On a virtual road, you can test the limits of your driving ability to see how fast you can go under the most extreme conditions, like when it's dark, when the weather's bad, or when the unexpected happens. The higher the speed, the harder the impact. But driving isn't a game or a race. When you're on the road, just 10 miles per hour over the limit can mean the difference between life and death. You're responsible for people's lives and your own. Slow down 
and save lives. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to this live broadcast, TFI Friday's final segment of the final hour. In the final day of the week, this is the final stretch, and we're pleased to be joined on this final end run around everything in the news. Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press, from the, literally, literally, from the... The stairs of the courtroom in the Southern District of New York in the Big Apple. Matthew, there's a lot going on, not just in New York, but of course in Washington. In D.C., um, yes, Hunter, Bi- Hunter Biden's mysterious uh, showing in the, in the Senate swamp. So we'll start with that. I will say this is not the courtroom. It's a little grander than this. This is the sta- the fire stairs of the courtroom of the courthouse where I'm covering a Sitco Venezuela trial that I'll get to in a oh, moment. But of course, Sitco. this being oh, your, this okay. being, yeah, I'm sure you're going to love it. It's Pedavesa, <laughs> we've got Guaido guys coming in by helicopter. There's a lot going on. This is back in the past. I don't think he's coptering it anymore. But the, the so the House Oversight Committee issued a subpoena to Hunter Biden as part of their move toward impeaching um, President Biden, which doesn't mean throwing him out. It means indicting, basically, right? So presidents have been impeached. Um, and they're moving in that direction, although they haven't for- they formalized the inquiry, but it hasn't yet gone full-blown. But it looks like it probably will. So Hunter Biden was subpoenaed. And usually when people get a subpoena, they go. That's kind of what's required. In fact, there's at least two Trump officials that have been prosecuted for not obeying a subpoena. That would be Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro. Hunter Biden said, no, I'll only go if I can speak publicly, which personally, I don't think is that, you know, is, is I mean, I, he didn't go, though, at all. And in fact, what he did is, is conduct a press conference right outside Capitol Hill. And it, it seems that under the rules of Congress, he did it on the Senate side, not the House side. So therefore, the, the House sergeant of arms couldn't go out and grab him and make him testify. But ironically, the 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 press availability was sponsored and scheduled by Eric Smallwell, who is a House member, um, somewhat controversial. And he somehow he scheduled a, a you're allowed to set it up. He said, give me the mic. I'm going to talk about the GOP impeachment travesty or whatever he called it. And then suddenly the surprise witness, it's Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden's take has been that that, of course, that they, that the GOP is trying to weaponize Joe Biden's love for his son against him um that hunter seems to be admitting that he's made mistakes hunter has made mistakes he doesn't however think it's fair for marjorie taylor me to show photographs of him naked in the house. i mean what they were selfies of course these were not surreptitious photographs but um he so he's going on the offensive and it's to go kind of bigger picture the idea is that he sees the possibility of his crack smoking gun wielding diamond bribe accepting ways bringing down Big Joe in, in 2024. And he's decided rather than just let it happen, he's going to go on the offensive. He's going to say, no, my dad did nothing wrong. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, it shouldn't be showing my naked photographs. Thanks, Eric Swalwell, for the mic. So now it, it, Eric Swalwell may be referred to the Ethics Committee. This is, this is the state of U.S. politics, basically. You have, like, a guy defending himself from buying a gun while smoking crack being sponsored by a congressperson to give a press conference because he's a bl- he's blowing off a subpoena. And it's all in how the voters, those dwindling number of undecided centrist voters, view who's worse, 
who comes off worse in this, James Comer or Hunter Biden? I don't know if that's that. That's my that's that that's the state of play now. Whether he's going to end up having to testify, whether they'll charge contempt of Congress, I, it, that would be up to Merrick Garland. That's the problem. That those two prosecutions against Bannon and Navarro were brought by the De- Department of Justice, and it's hard for me to see them uh, prosecuting Hunter for this. Although they have since we last spoke, there is a new case filed in the Central District of California for tax evasion. So there are they're trying. I feel like they're trying to show like this is legitimate, you know. We're, we're, we're pursuing you. The, the, the home run ball, of course, is this China bribe. I think there's Burisma and there's the China bribe. Like, I think they're sort of eating around the edges of what the real, because, you know, the, that a president would have a son that smokes crack, that's not illegal. That's sad. That a president has a son that wheel, buys a gun while smoking crack. Okay, maybe a bit tough if you're putting other people in, in jail for the same thing. That the president has a son who doesn't pay taxes. Okay. Okay, <laughs> but then the president has a son that sells his access to his father in exchange for a million dollar diamond from a Chinese uh, oil conglomerate. It could be a problem. And, and five and five and uh, five million dollar payments from Ukraine, allegedly, yeah. according according to the ten twenty threes and the FBI, uh, the Joe as well, not just Hunter, but the the, the full Biden package. Um, why to? I don't know. Just because they could, I guess. But they're kind of, you know, firing prosecutors in Ukraine and, uh, you know, using it to protect their interests. The oligarchs are using the Bidens. The Bidens are using oligarchs. Everybody's making money. But and and, and I'm sorry, I, I actually am I'm doing some reporting here more locally. Uh, by the same token, in a sort of mirror picture of that, you have Erdogan saying, let's pay Eric Adams to open up my building in New York so I can party there. I mean, it's a known. This is how it works. This is how this is how. But it, but it shouldn't work that way. So that's. That's kind of where it stands. Now, there have been a couple of developments on the Trump legal front, uh, one loss and one win, believe it or not, or at least perceived as a win for, for the orange man. There was the, re, the, the sort of in the New York case, it's now dead. I used to go. I used to shuttle back and forth between this courthouse with its beautiful staircase, st- uh, fire stairs and one just down the street, the state court, where Letitia James has been hammering away at the Trump personal financial statements as misleading. Um, the case is now evidence has ended. And the judge will be ruling sometime in January. It's pretty much fed accompli how he's going to rule. But there was the gag. Order how is he going to rule? How is he going to rule? How is he going to rule? He's going to rule. He's going to say he's going to say that Trump defraud was committed fraud and owes the state two hundred and fifty million dollars. And maybe he's going to reinstate his order that the Trump business empire in New York be dissembled and that all New York State Trump business licenses be canceled. That's the ultimate penalty. It's a civil. That's a case. civil. They can't put him in jail. It's a civil, but 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 also by the same token, Matthew, uh, it's a civil case. Trump could appeal and kick that thing down the road a few years, couldn't he? Yeah, I don't think that that's not going to impact. I don't even think voters, or certainly it's not going to hurt his his ability to run or anything. It's just a it's it's good for Letitia James for her running. There's of course the other New York State case here, which has involved the hush money to Stormy Daniels. And we have a development. I, I want to make sure we cover this one because you may have missed it over there. Maybe under your radar, but it's important. Now, in both cases, both the New York State real estate fraud and the New York State criminal hush money case, which uh, of Alvin Brad, the lead witness is Mr. Michael Cohen, one-time fixer for the Trump Organization, then turncoat, then for a for a, for a moment, a brief moment, a sort of darling, a darling of the Democrats, although it was never a, a very tight. He's still trying to work that, but he has a big problem. Here's the problem that he has. 
he, he did plead guilty to some tax charges. He did serve some time in Otisville, and he's now out on supervised release, just federal probation, basically. So recently, he wrote a letter. His lawyer, Mr. Schwartz, wrote a letter to Judge Jesse M. Furman here in the Southern District, a fine judge, saying, I want to terminate my probation. I've been doing great things. I testified against Trump in front of Judge Erdogan. I want to, Erdogan, excuse, I made that mistake. It's, it's, it's Engoron is the New York State judge, and Erdogan is the, is the president of Turkey. But the, there was one problem. Then there was a second letter from a new lawyer of, of Michael, Michael uh, Cohen that said, we're new than now the lawyers, and we have to admit, we haven't been able to verify some of the case law in the first submission. And then now there's an order by Jesse M. Furman saying, show cause why the three cases that you've cited don't appear to exist. This is where the two beats overlap, Patrick. This is an AI case. The lawyer for Michael Cohen, you'd think it's only a three-page letter. You'd think he'd take a look at what AI spat out for him because he insisted that there were recent cases in the Second Circuit, which covers this district, in which people had been released in this way, and he cited them, and they had citations, they had names of judges, names of plaintiffs. None of the cases exist. This happened once before here. It was so, sort of uh, funny, uh, but now yeah, there was another. Was a Chat GBT? They're using Chat GBT. I mean, is this is this how the charlatans are operating in these these law firms, or what? It's funny, and you'd think Michael. This is a higher. That other case, to be honest with you, was a kind of. I don't want to say it was an ambulance chaser case, but it was by a, a, an individual plaintiff against Avianca, the court, the Colombian. It was the kind of case that takes place all the time. Like it was it was federal because it was a, a foreign airline, but it's a very humdrum case. So I have to, I don't want to put those lawyers down in that case, but it wasn't high profile. They thought no one would ever even look at the case. But when you're freaking Michael Cohen, right, and you're saying I'm the man who took down Trump, I'm the man who's changing the election in 2024, you'd think you'd. Now, the question is, did Michael Cohen proofread his own filing? I saw him. I'm not, I was as far from him as we are. Well, we're very far apart. But as far as I am from the phone on which is, I'm recording this, yesterday I went into the courthouse and he was coming out. And boy, did he look angry. Because how the mighty have fallen, he's going to become the poster boy, not only for perjury, tax avoidance, betrayal, but now misuse of AI in his filing. So that, that it all it all it's all coming together, Patrick. That's all I can say. And so I don't. Here's the win for Trump, though. That was kind of a win for Trump, even though he wasn't involved in, in Michael Cohen mistakenly using AI. This is big. In the case down in D.C., which is I think the the the, the, the kind of fundamental case, right? The, the Georgia one is a state case. All right, fine. There's the there's the documents in Mar-a-Lago case. All right, you know it looked a little messy. Maybe held it too long. Other people do it, but. The D.C. case is the is the big kahuna. It's the insurrection. You tried to steal the election and overthrow the government case. And that case is stayed. That case has been stayed by Judge Chetan. I'm going to give her credit. Many people don't want. They think she's a hack. She's not a hack. She she although she's ruled against Trump on every single thing, including the gag order, everything, everything, everything. The moment he appealed the impunity, the immunity ruling, she has said, you're right. I can't go forward with my case until the Supreme Court rules on this. And so that case is stopped. It's not going to happen in January. It's not going to happen in March. And now Jack Straw has had to run to the Supreme Court saying, please, guys, hear it fast, because he believes he'll win there. And then the case Jack will Smith. restart. Jack Smith. Oh, excuse me. I know. I'm sorry. It's, it's an inside joke. Freudian, Freudian slip. <laughs> it's, a, it's an inside joke. But the yeah, he's, he's, done it. he's done his best. 
So ultimately, in fact, if there are Trump supporters on the Supreme Court, and you'd have to hope so, since he put a number of them there, but they yeah. also seem they, there. There seems to be a certain turn. Betrayal is a betrayal is a, is to become the, the the coin of the realm here. They can help him just by saying no. Let's stick to the normal schedule, which will allow him to avoid that case throughout the campaign, run the table mm-hmm. in Iowa, fend off Nikki Haley's, you know. Uh, 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 Naming names in 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 New Hampshire, and then face off against a either a loving father, Joe Biden, or a diamond wielding. You know, it it all depends how the voters see it, and and it's it's nobody. It's it's good. It's definitely going to be a worse a, a worse you know lesser of two evils election over here. Okay. Okay. So, so I think. Do you think he's dodged the bullet in uh, in D.C. with the uh, the Jason? He's at least put it on stay. Yeah, it, ha- it hasn't. The, the irony is that the case isn't dead. Obviously, it's just on pause, and the gag order that remains in place. So there's Jack Kent can still do stuff, but it was a big surprise. I saw I saw some some of the more liberal outlets were like, "What?" Because they thought this was going to be the killer. This was going to be like in tandem with the primaries, a trial and conviction on insurrection it's not a good look it's not a good look but that at least that insurrection has to be left for another day unless the supreme court screws trump and says we're going to rule on it fast and we're going to say no immunity that would be very so, bad and i think he'd have he'd have so virus, that, trump would have virus remorse so so in, in, in terms of like relating one of those cases of these many lawfare cases one of them sure. attaching one to like the 2024 election other words like he, sh- he he's a threat to democracy whatever that was the big piece de la resistance the georgia one that looks like that's mm-hmm. going to be a non-starter i don't know if you agree or not but those are the two you know election related yeah. cases that i see uh, I don't think they're going to get any anything on that. The Georgia one looks like it's it's dead in the water. I don't know if you agree or not. I think I think it. I mean, yeah, I just don't think it has the same potential. Even I think I think it was Chris Christie, you know, the great philosopher. The 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 he at one of the most recent debates, he was like, and, and how could you support a candidate convicted of a federal felony? So the federal and state makes a big difference, and the federal system, you know, I say it. Hopefully not just because I'm, I'm in the fire stairs of, of the federal courthouse, but it's a more serious system, right? Like any any local aid. And I think the problem that you have here is that in the future, whether it's long after Biden and Trump are gone from the scene, this precedent, not only of, let's say, a president weaponizing DOJ against his enemies, but now it's any 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 wacko ag or even local prosecutor can start suing suing out of power candidates whatever you know what i mean it's it's pretty easy so it's it's i i think this was a big this was a big development and and um of course things can things can revive um but it's it's interesting how it's the, the dream the orange dream lives on the orange balloon is remains aloft with nikki haley trying to trying to puncture holes in it it seems like it's still it's still floating and and you know Who's to say? Now, I want to. I thought here's a here's a connector between politics, espionage, and the SDNY, which is of course my forte. Charles McGonagall, the former FBI special agent in charge in New York, major national security figure, was found to be taking money from Oleg Deripaska to try to put a different oligarch on the sanctions list. This was considered. I mean, this was a big scandal. He, he, he pled guilty to that. He has pled guilty to that. And people were surprised, and I was surprised, that the government took his guilty plea with the maximum 
they they whittle down the charges because that's treason, right? I mean, from the U.S. point of view, I'm not whatever you may think of, of Deripaska. He's on the sanctions list, and the man in charge of maintaining the sanctions list is taking his money to put somebody else on the sanctions list. It's not good. Um, he admits that it wasn't good. He's tried to write it off to alcohol consumption, uh, a marital, a marital, some marital turbulence. Although his wife did come to him to the guilty plea, so I think the turbulence is gone. And I think the former paramour is now throwing, throwing, you know, uh, Molotov cocktails at Mr. McGonagall. So, so, so was it um, was this to was this to take Durapaska off and put somebody else on, or was it to just put another person to put somebody in? else on to put somebody else on and inevitably keep tracks on what they were doing? It's he McGonagall couldn't by himself take somebody off very difficult okay. but you can get yeah. somebody on because you could and he's what he claims is that he shouldn't have taken them his lawyer believe it or not was a trump appointed he, uh u.s attorney for the eastern district called seth ducharme a very a very smooth character he'd answered my questions twice now about i i you know these days covering the courts you don't really it's it's there's kind of a fourth wall between you and the participants you can't just shout out but every time this guy ducharme leaves the courthouse he answers questions he doesn't say much but he put a, he said Charlie loves the FBI. Charlie, Charlie bleeds FBI colors. He made a mistake. He's ready to turn his corner. He really doesn't need to go to jail. We've got some other cases where people did stuff like this and they didn't go to jail. The judge, Judge Reardon, be balancing between the 60 months maximum. It's not that that was the maximum. It's that they, they pled him out to a charge where that was the maximum, five years. Probation said 42 should be the thing. McGonagall wanted zero. She went with 50 months, which, you know, it is what it is. It's not we can laugh and say it's a slap on the wrist. But I, most among I don't know. I don't know. Really, I, nobody wants to spend four years in jail. It, it'll probably be a pretty, pretty, pretty soft touch. But he also faces jail time in a D.C. case in February. So we won't actually begin. He walked out of the courthouse quite briskly toward Foley Square with us. I put up a video. But we, we chased him out to the square and um, sometime after February, he'll begin serving his time. He, he, much, he was how lucky. Much cash, he how much cash did he take? Uh, was it 250 grand or something? Yeah, I think $800,000 total. Oh, which is just not nothing. Okay, okay yeah. 800. Okay, that's almost a million. Yeah. That's it ended bad. up because there were various ways. He, there it's was, enough he to was get paid a through a law firm. Yeah, he was paid through a law firm. But again, it wasn't, he probably, I mean, who's to say? Hunter Biden got a million dollar diamond, and it's unclear. I guess he had better access than Charlie McGonagall. It's true. But I mean, yeah, it was. Anyway, it was. It, it was. It was. It, it really was. It was one of those things because it was totally up to the judge. The judge could easily have said zero, and people would have said, "You, you know, these things happen. These things happen." You know, he he could have got out of it, Matthew, if he would have just earmarked ten percent for the big guy. Yeah, I, it's it's. Uh, yeah, and and he, you know, it, oh, I think I, this case came up before because in his sentencing submission. One of his his supporters said Charlie is such a great guy that he gifted the Julian Assange case to an agent down on his luck in the FBI, sort of as a kind of threw him a bone, like it was a charitable act. I just thought that was a kind of a funny. That's the, there was a sealed. That's what uh, sort of stand up guy he is. That's what yeah, sort of that literally. Guy, I, I'm not yeah. kidding you. I, I I I posted that letter because I couldn't. It just shows you what the audience. Because even you know this judge. I mean, I, the thing is. You and I might think about you know freedom of the press or whatever, but it's pretty popular in national security circles to like hand the Julian Assange case to like a guy who was like he was you know he just didn't have any good work. I think he was called Angry Kevin. When you when you got a, when you got Julian Assange's case in your hand, 
you better go look for angry Kevin, the guy who was like lurking down the hall. Now, I'm gonna, I, I mentioned Sitco, so I'm going to go there. I'm sorry yeah, to tell what, you that. Yeah, go on. The, 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 they're running the table here in the SDNY against the at least the past version of the Maduro regime. Now, whether regime, this is the word that's used here. So I'm, I'm putting it in. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it just pejorative. in quotation marks. Pejorative, yeah. Yeah, the the his this guy called El Gordo, uh, Carlos Arance, was convicted after a, a trial that I covered in great detail. It was an amazing trial just because this guy was living in a kind of a, 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 a Bolivarian uh, luxury hotel in Caracas and arranging. It appears pretty clear. At least the jury believed it. Now I don't have to preface it anymore. He's not an accused drug dealer. He's a convicted narco trafficker. And there was this great incident where there was a road that was washed out. All of this goes back to like 2006. So it's actually, this, we're talking Chavez here. We might be. I'm not sure. Right? Yeah, the that's Chavez. Yeah, 06. That's Chavez that's, time. This yeah. guy was living large, mostly getting trading guns for coke from the FARC, but he needed to get the cash in. And there was a, they were using an airport in northern northern Venezuela, but the road was washed out by some rainstorm. So they needed to pay. They got the pilot on the stand. This guy said, I flew $2 million for $50,000 four times back and forth. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> and this that's his testimony. And I, I, the jury certainly believed it. Um, there was some kind of familiar. The main witness against him was quoted by the witness's aunt, who was also Carlos Arense's ex-wife, as saying, boy, a joder a Carlos which they said in open court, they dropped the F-bomb. I'm going to F Carlos. And he did. Carlos is, Carlos is going down. But here, there's this a more amazing civil case taking place now. That's, it's going on as we speak. This afternoon, I'll be back in the courtroom. It's Sitco versus Lloyds of London. And it's basically an insurance case. It turns out there was some boat of Sitco oil. And by this time, everyone thinks Sitco is the Venezuelan oil company. But it seems to have been since sanctions came in, they've been trying to say, not really. We are and we aren't. We're owned by them, but we're not controlled by them. So you can do business with Sitco, but you can't do business with this Petavesa, which is the real. But where they screwed up is that Sitco slash Petavesa had, a, had a, a, a million barrels of oil on a boat. And suddenly somebody showed up with a, with a Guido court order and said, this oil is ours. Yeah. Chaos ensued and the boat was frozen for almost a year. Now, the boat, as it turns out, I've learned in the trial, was to pay to a company called Knutsen, or maybe just Knutsen, but it has a K. $41,000 a day. That seems to have been the price, the going price. And then you start talking about a whole year. And the thing is that this boat was out there. It was totally unclear who owned the oil, what was going to happen. And also, the boat was running out of fuel. There's something called bunker fuel that they use to like keep the lights on, to run the desalinization so they can drink, you know, I've always wondered about that. They don't carry water with them. They have a desalinization motor. But when the bunker fuel runs out, everybody's toast. So the, the, the Filipino crew, it was a Filipino crew on this tanker. They were talking about abandoning ship and just leaving the boat out there, which seems like a big. The guy from Sitco admitted that he went and met with the State Department to say you're going to have a huge disaster of this oil tanker, you know, with no crew on it. And Knutson was talking with some kind of mercenaries, some real. He should have talked to McGonagall. McGonagall could have put a team together, you know, with Jack Smith slash Jack Straw. They were going to like helicopter in and replace the Filipino crew or send in a new captain. Because the problem was, and this is where it gets into court transparency, which is my favorite issue. 
the captain of the ship is the one that obeyed the Guaido order. And everyone said, if we can just get the captain off the ship, we're going to solve the problem. The captain is testifying, and the captain's identity is sealed. They are saying that this captain is under threat, and the captain can only testify if the courtroom is closed to reporters and everyone else except the jurors. I don't know. I, I don't like to put somebody at risk, but I, I have a feeling that the Venezuelan intelligence service, poked up or not, is going to be able to know who was the captain of the ship. But it's, mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a real cloak and dagger case. It's so funny because it's it's actually just about money. It's about how much did this one year delay on the oil cost. But to get into that, you've got to talk about the helicopters and the guys rappling down and the, the running out, the, the the no toilets on the ship. This was another problem. There was, there was a lot. There was a it was a real uh, S S storm taking place on the Gert Knutsen off the coast of Venezuela. Listen, this this story is a window into a much I, I I would think a much bigger scandal because during the Trump administration they tried to seize uh, Pervese or the uh, state petroleum company and and, yes, they did. Uh, and and the U.S. assets of Sitco and all that and then they were trying to funnel money into the Guaido uh, camp uh, to, to using that some of the seized assets to bankroll Guaido and then the, remember there was that scandal where they found out all these luxury cars and who knows what. Um, so it's like the, the, I, it seems like there's a political dimension to this, Matthew, on the back end. I, I'm oh, totally. Thinking. That's what that's that's what I'm waiting to to flare up. I'm gonna. Ha I have to tell you one thing. Have you heard of Sharon Stone? Probably uh, the the uh, with the basic instinct, the, actor? the actress. Yeah, that the is actor. correct. Sharon Stone yeah. this evening is going to be is going to be um, receiving a UN award. Did you know? It's actually not a award. It's the it's the Association of UN Journalists, and they needed to find some some headliner to to make people go and listen to Antonio Guterres. And so, at an expensive, um, I don't know what you even call it, supper club, Cipriani in Lower Manhattan. Oh, Cipriani, that's very nice. Yes, very nice. Very so nice. Should be wearing very a short nice. skirt. These, these guys are are. I'm going to go, <laughs> not inside but outside, because I need to know how it is among the uh, amid the Gaza crisis that ambassadors are kicking out thousand dollar tickets to a sleaze fest with Sharon Stone, who herself once run afoul of the BDS groups. So you can check this out. That's not my issue, but it seems a little tone deaf the way they played it. She's also an artist now. I got a press press release. This goes back some time. I think she I think she went to Israel and they felt she shouldn't have. But she's an artist and her her publicist sent me a press release saying she's receiving a United Nations award. So I've asked them is this a UN award or is this a pay-to-play UN Correspondents Association award? Time will tell, and I'll have a report back from you. I promise. Well, I, you're a man of integrity, Matthew, because most most journalists would want to be in that dinner and get the free meal. And no, no, I've got back. a ski hat with me. It's, it's about forty degrees here. I'm prepared. I've got gloves. I've got gloves. I've got a hat, and I'm going to be asking the question: How much did you pay? Something about Sharon Stone, and I do think there's something a little bit ghoulish about very particularly the very passionate on Gaza ambassador saying we're deeply concerned we going down to party going down to party a thousand dollars for no good purpose um, and it's unclear where the money goes so as with Guaido time will tell it's it shall indeed it shall indeed Matthew Russell Lee inner city press follow him on X Twitter and other platforms as well Matthew there's a lot more that we could talk about I'm sure so we'll have to hold that over for next week but uh, I look forward to our conversation coming up things are just getting Definitely. interesting now 
just getting yep. interesting <laughs> with the election season coming up. Thank you, Matthew Russell Lee. Big thank you Definitely. to our, Mid- our Middle East correspondent, Leila Haitoum, in the first hour. And also the biggest thank you, of course, is to our listeners and everybody populating the TNT chat community. I love you guys. We're, we're going to be signing out now, end of the week coming here. So that's me done signing out here. Patrick Henningsen, TNT, today's news talk. See you Monday. So have a good weekend.